Hello and welcome back to another episode of Dua Lipa at Your Service, a podcast series in which I sit down with some of the most inspiring minds alive, including today's very special guest, Dan Levy, a writer, actor, director, and an all-round pop culture force. Before we get to Dan, though, I've been receiving so many amazing emails from our wonderful listeners asking me for my lists, and I thought I'd answer one of those notes on the show today. Christy Illingworth has asked, what's your list of essentials for a long-haul flight? Christy, thank you so much for your question. I um, travel a lot, and I love a good eye mask. That's super handy, because I feel like I can sleep anywhere if I have my eye mask. I love lavender essential oil because that really puts me to sleep. A good notebook, just so I can jot down notes. I feel like I always need one and I try not to look at a screen when I'm on the plane. I'm not really a person who likes to watch movies on a plane because I feel like I spend so much of my time looking at a screen anyway. So when I'm on a flight, I kind of go on airplane mode and I take a really good book. So it's between reading, sleeping, Oh, and I do take a face mask as well. Like I love a good hydrating face mask if I feel like I have a little bit of time to pamper myself. That I love to do when I'm on the plane too because I feel like my skin gets really dry from all the, I guess, air conditioning on the plane. So those are my travel essentials. Thanks so much for your question. After a very short break, join me as I introduce you to this week's At Your Service guest, Dan Levy. My guest this week is a Canadian-born Dan Levy, the son of the iconic comedy actor Eugene Levy, with whom he created the global sensation Schitt's Creek. If you have a pulse, you know Schitt's Creek as a truly beloved TV series which ran for six seasons, and in 2020 swept the comedy categories at the Emmy Awards. Oh my God. Alexis, I am suffering romantically right now. And there was a minute when I thought I would never have to look at another dating app, and here you are shoving bumpkins in my face. The show also won several GLAAD awards and has been widely recognized in the queer community as a pillar of promoting acceptance, change, and tolerance. I would like to dedicate this song to a very special someone in my life. David Rose. There he is. Right there. That's him. Can't miss him. Now 39 years old, Dan is embarking on what I'd call one of the most exciting next acts in Hollywood history. Because how the hell do you follow up a show as beloved as Schitt's Creek? The answer blanket the entertainment world with all things Dan. In the next year alone, he'll be back on screens in Netflix's Sex Education, Disney's Haunted Mansion movie, and the weekend's HBO series, The Idol. Coming most imminently, though, is Dan's new HBO Max series, The Big Brunch. It's a delightful cooking competition that celebrates the most deserving and undiscovered culinary voices from every corner of the country. I don't know what's been going on in that kitchen that has really revolutionized your perspectives. It's a wonderful thing to see. I was welling up with tears. In Dan's own words, it celebrates the stories and contributions made by local chefs across America who all have big dreams of taking their careers to the next level. When we connected recently, Dan was on a scouting trip to Paris where he'll hopefully film some scenes from his upcoming directorial feature film debut, about which I was able to get some exclusive information that you won't want to miss. Throughout our chat, we spoke about what it's been like for him following up his biggest project to date, 
what viewers can expect from the big brunch and other projects he's chosen after Schitt's Creek, what success looks like for him in 2022, and so much more. Please join me in welcoming this week's At Your Service guest, Dan Levy. Oh, hello. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? This is such a thrill. I'm such a huge fan of yours. It's great. Absolutely crazy. No, thank you so much. I'm so, so excited to have you on my podcast. Where are you right now? I'm in Paris. Oh, oui, oui. Very nice. It's raining and it's very romantic here and I feel great. Oh, lovely. I understand you've been spending lots of time in my gorgeous London lately. I know. I think I might like relocate there for a bit. London's the best. London's best. Can you tell um, everyone what brought you to London? I am making a movie there, which is very exciting. It's my first movie I wrote and I'm directing and I'm in. That's incredible. That's so exciting. And TBD on how I'm going to fare through all of this. It's a huge (laughs) undertaking. Um, But I'm excited. I'm choosing to like seek joy and excitement over anxiety, which is new for me. Oh my God. I mean, yes, I know the feeling, but I think it's, you know, especially when it's in like the beginning steps of it and while you're creating it, Mm -hmm. just have fun with it. It only gets scary once it's like time for release and you're like, oh, fuck, like, (laughs) you know, who's going to watch it? Are people going to love it? That's how I feel about my music, at least. I'm like, you know what, while I'm making it, this is all great. I'm in my own world and I'm making something that I'm proud of. And then... Well, here's a question that I would have for you then in that case. Mm. I find that having to like block out people's expectations, I find that to be kind of challenging and I can only imagine... I mean, I think the great thing about any kind of creative field, whether it's music or film or television, is that like how rare and cool is it that every year or every couple years you get a fresh new challenge Mm. that kind of pushes you into uncharted territory for yourself in terms of your own ambitions, in terms of your own creativity. I think that's amazing. It's just the noise, keeping the noise out so that you don't get swayed by people's expectations. I mean, it's a very vulnerable and daunting experience because you want to do something that you haven't done before and you mm-hmm. want to like challenge yourself and be like, okay, I'm going to try out something different and I want to explore mm-hmm. this different like range of myself. But like I said, it's like once I'm making it, I like shut out all like the social media. I'm like, do you know what? I'm doing this for me. I'm making something that I'm proud of. I'm making something that I love. And then, um, you know, when it's time to like <laughs> think about releasing worry about it, it later. And then you worry about it later, Yeah. It's kind of the best way, but I think if you do something that you just really stand behind, something that you're proud of, something that you love, then it all, Mm -hmm. it works out in the way that it's supposed to. And I think the best way to do things is to really like push yourself out your comfort zone and try out different things. I think it's the most rewarding. I had to get on Twitter. I did that years ago. Oof. (laughs) And it's one of those things where you're thinking, okay, I'm here like making a film that I wrote and I'm in, and it's a wonderful creative process, and one person on Twitter can completely destroy all of the good (laughs) things that I've, like, worked very hard for myself to, like, have happen. Mm. Anyway, I had to get off it. I think that's um, a really good decision. There's there's so much I want to talk to you about today, but I really want to start quite literally at at the beginning. You know, your career, it seems like it was, like, predestined for show business. Your dad, Eugene Levy, of course, is an iconic comedy actor who's beloved for his roles, you know, in American Pie and Mm -hmm. Best in Show. And 
You got your start on MTV Canada in the early 2000s. What I want to know yeah. was like, okay, we'll get to what you were going to say about, the, <laughs> about MTV, but what, was there like a moment in the entertainment industry where you didn't feel like you were where you wanted to be? Yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do for the longest time, to be honest. And I think the amazing thing about my dad is that he never prioritized the entertainment industry. It was always family first. He chose to raise my family in Toronto, like far away from Los Angeles. He would go away and work and we would have like a very separate life from what he did. And so I never really had that kind of show business thing where I was, I happened to be around like a lot of his friends or amazingly talented people in comedy. Mm -hmm. So inherently I was kind of around wonderfully engaging and funny, deeply funny people. So I think humor was always something that was in my house, but the industry was not. I mean, I was always interested in theater and, and performing and And yet at the same time, I was a child of somebody who was quite recognizable. And that was really uncomfortable for me. I was like very socially anxious. And anytime we had to go out in public and people were staring at us or coming up to the, you know, dinner table and asking for pictures and and autographs and things, it was really kind of, I really didn't like it. And Mm. for a long time, I would distance myself from my dad in public, which we had to unpack much later in life because I think for the longest time he misinterpreted that as a kind of emotional distance mm. when in actuality it was kind of a practical thing for me. I just didn't feel comfortable being always watched by people. And that was kind of a really important thing for us. We ended up having that conversation late and I had to kind of clear up this whole fear Fe- that I yeah, had yeah. growing up What he did do was always encourage both my sister and I to do what we wanted to do. He was never one of those people that said, I'm in the industry and therefore you shouldn't because it's been hard. I think he's had a wonderful path through the entertainment industry because he hasn't cared that much about it. And when you don't put that kind of power into the industry and you just put it into yourself and your family and the love of kind of the people around you, it informed certainly how I wanted to operate as somebody who was getting into this. And at the same time, when I first auditioned for MTV, I went in very cold. I don't think I even gave them my last name because I didn't want that association. I didn't want the nepotism yeah, you labels to, that get thrown on people instantly. You wanted to get it done on your own. Yeah, I, wanted to, I, I think I wanted to prove to people that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And I worked for many years on MTV without ever revealing who he was. And when I felt like I had my footing as a television host, even though I hated it, I just was such a bad, It was I was so bad at it. Then I kind of brought him into the conversation and it was great. It's really nice that your, you know, your dad kind of allowed you to make the decision yourself whether you wanted to be in the entertainment industry or not and never swayed you mm-hmm. one way or the other. But it is interesting, you know, that you didn't know whether Dan Levy's superstar was like on the cards for you. It was just no, something I, that you feel like you fell into naturally, right? A hundred percent. And when I made my show, it was on a teeny tiny network in America. It hadn't gotten on Netflix yet. It was on the CBC up in Canada, which is the national broadcasting network. We had no expectations for this show. We went into it thinking, okay, 
we're going to make the best of it. We're going to do what we want to do. And hopefully, if we do it properly, we'll have the closure of knowing that we made something that we really care about. We knew our audience was so limited just based on the networks we were on. So it was really about making it. Making it. Rather than the expectation of ever even becoming famous in any capacity. And then once we had finished the show... That's when I think people found it on Netflix. So all of us on the show have had this strange post-Netflix, like wandering out of the woods of the pandemic, having a very different life than when we started. Mm. Okay, well, let's talk about this show that you're mm-hmm. alluding to, because it's not just like a small little baby show. This is Shit's Creek, and it, <laughs> it premiered in 2015. And, you know, it's so lovely how humble you are about all of it. But, you know, the taping ended in 2020 and Mm -hmm. it has a run of incredible accolades and Emmy Awards. When did you start noticing like a shift in how, in terms of like how big it had become? I think it was the pandemic. I mean, I think it was people being stuck at home, finding our show. And I think our show was about inherently kind of about a family stuck in a place not being able to have the freedom that they once had. So I think thematically there was a lot of there was a lot of the storytelling that spoke to people in the current circumstance of being stuck at home in this pandemic. And I also think the fundamental hope for this show is that people it would make people feel good. And it was hopeful and it was kind and it was loving and it was supportive. And I think that's what we needed. So I don't know whether the show would have had the same kind of success, whether it would have meant as much as it did to people if there wasn't that personal connection of really needing laughter and needing hope. I'm grateful that it was, you know, I, it, <laughs> it sucks that it took a global plague. Pandemic, no. Um, it was, I, I don't think it's all down to that, happened. honestly. But. but it was weird. Yeah. We walked out of it and, you know... Before the pandemic, it was a very different life. How much do you think of the show resonating with people is a lot down to like the attribute of it being essentially a family affair, you know, considering the on-screen mm. and off-screen involvement of your mom and dad and appearances of your sister in the series too? It was just a lot of love. Yeah. I think anytime you put a lot of love into something and it works, it's going to touch people, I hope. You know, watching a family that was slightly disjointed slowly but surely come to realize that they have real love for each other, they just didn't, it was misplaced, Mm -hmm. I think was something that a lot of people during the pandemic were forced to confront Mm -hmm. with their own family members. So true. Because so much of us ended up back at home. I mean, I ended up back at home for six months with my sister and our dogs, and it was a whole strange but wonderful reunion of sorts. And I know that my dad at the time just would have killed for us to move in forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just stay. He's like, I miss you. It's just funny. stay. It's funny with parents, isn't it? It's like, no matter how old you get or, you know, you move on, you have your own life, whatever. If you could move back in with them, they'd be so, oh, a they'd dream. Be so happy to have you. It's hilarious. Yeah. What's it like working with, with your dad and with your family? Like I've kind of gotten into a similar position. Mm-hmm. My dad has kind of taken on more of a management role with me mm. now. And I, I absolutely love it. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I'd love to know your like, take on it as I well. Because working with family, there can be moments where you're just like, oh, fuck, this is my dad, you know? But then I also think, like, this is somebody I work with. It's just, exactly. What is that fine line? I think line? figuring out where the line is. Mm. 
I would talk to my dad in ways that I would not talk to a business partner. Mm-hmm. It took me a little while to sort of shift out of the father-son rapport and into the fact that if I say that, if I say like, no, 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 don't. That's a bad idea. No. If I say that in front of people, that we're in a business we're capacity. We're in a business, right, 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 right. That right. is not the move. Um, but it's been the most lovely and rewarding experience to work with him and my sister and my mom in a producerial capacity over those past six years to have had something that changed our lives. Mm to have six years of our lives documented on camera together, even though they are in character, it's this thing that we never could have dreamed for each other, and yet Mm. here it is. And not only did it affect us in so many amazing ways, but it seems to have also had a nice impact on other people too. Other people, yeah. Like you said, it's the love. It's the, you know, when you put love into it, you know, it's like radiating out. That's what people get attracted to. Yeah, and my dad is 76 now or turning 76. And I think for him to have had this sort of reemergence into culture after having this wonderful career, Mm. having just done the most amazing work, he was always so good at everything he did. And I was just really proud to have played a part in both him and Catherine's sort of people rediscovering them again and getting to write them parts that, broke them open into culture again and gave them Emmy Awards. And that was such a joy for me to be a small part of their legacy as well. Beautiful. I love that. We'll be back with Dan Levy right after this short break. Schitt's Creek is often praised for the ways in which you, as its creator, promoted LGBTQIA+, tolerance, growth, and change. Can you tell me a little bit about your response about how the show has like affected you personally? I think when you're given an opportunity, you have the choice to, to really go for it. Mm-hmm. And in my case, I chose not to play it safe I think when you spend so much of your life in the closet and when essentially at the time about half of my life, if not a little bit more than that, was a lie. I was a version of myself that was less than, that was hiding because I didn't want to tell the truth. And then finally when I came out and everything was fine, fortunately, when Schitt's Creek was picked up and I knew that this character was going to be uh, pansexual, I thought we have an opportunity, I have an opportunity to honor my life and my friends' lives in a way that feels really honest Mm -hmm. and casual and nonchalant. I think, you know, as a gay person, a lot of the times the stories we get are just like harrowing tales of a romance that ends in death. And they're all very important. But what we're not getting is anything to offset the pain. Pain, yep. And when it's only pain, it becomes this weird mind game of, well, is this what I'm destined to? Mm. Why can't I have the happiness and the joy that I'm seeing in film and television and all of these rom-coms and sitcoms of people living their lives and being supported and, Mm. and laughing? And it was the nonchalance that was the most important thing to me. I had never seen... 
and I'm sure they were out there. I mean, Will and Grace was there and definitely kicked the doors open, Modern Family. But yeah, so I wrote it just as casually as I possibly could and wanted the intimacy between my character and his now husband to be consistent. And I wanted them to kiss anytime it felt like it, you know. You hear these stories of like, well, we're only allowing one kiss per season because we think that's (laughs) enough. And it's like, I got to break that algorithm. (laughs) And I think it was that. We we weren't doing much. We Mm. were just telling the story of these characters. And I think it was just... You know, no one died, and everyone was happy at the end of it. And this was a couple whose romance was surrounded by love. It was surrounded by a community of people who loved them and wanted them to succeed. And we don't often get that story. Mm. So I think in that capacity, it, it touched people and um, and certainly was a way of me working through a lot of my own manifesting something for myself, yeah. hopefully, that, you know— We'll see if if that yeah. person walks into my life at some point. But I, I feel like I've put it out there and one day it'll happen. Okay, okay. <laughs> you said earlier this year that there's still pressure as a queer entertainer and storyteller to make sure that the next project is successful too. That mm. there's almost this like domino effect and that Hollywood really expects a quote unquote successful representation in order to invest in it further. Yeah. What ways are you ensuring that we move away from that place? You know, that kind of pressure to make another hit and entering a space where we can just tell diverse and inclusive stories no matter how well they do at box office. I think it's tricky because when there are so few stories being told, Mm. Hollywood has this kind of... It's very risk-averse. And so anytime that you're telling a story that's not often told, it's kind of like, well, this is going to be an example of whether this works or it doesn't, when that should not be the case at all. Right. You can't put that kind of pressure on stories. Mm -hmm. There are tons of movies that work and tons of movies that don't work, but you need the volume. You need the sheer volume of them to balance everything out. And so we can't just have like, bloop, there's one movie about gay people that comes out and all of its success has to inform what comes after it. It's an impossible amount of pressure. We have to just put money behind people who want to tell stories that are diverse across the board. board, And also allowing them to take risks and allowing them to, God forbid, fail. Failure is a good thing. And we're just so terrified of it because I think there's money involved. There's a commerce element that also is side by side with the artistry of, mm-hmm. of entertainment. And so this this whole concept of like, well, if it doesn't work, well, we can't, we, you know, God forbid we make another one. Because yeah. one thing means that one other thing can't or can happen. It's absolutely mind-numbing. Failure, it's just a part of the journey. If I think if we're constantly striving for perfection, we're never really going to get there. I think the fact that words like flaws and failure, we can have a whole other conversation about like how society has has marked those types of words as bad things. Mm-hmm. When culturally, if we saw flaws, if we saw failure as a positive thing, as a constructive thing, as something that makes us stronger and better and more creative and more thoughtful, we would have a different relationship to it. And yeah, we would absolutely. have more empathy mm-hmm. When someone does stumble, yeah, as opposed to this culture that we're living in right now where if you don't look perfect, 
say the right thing all the time, do the right thing, you're somehow letting people down. I'm really interested to know about this because this is something that I think was really admirable was, you know, you ended Schitt's Creek in 2020 and -hmm. you spoke so much at the time about getting out before the going got tough. How are you able to like arrive at a place where you know the value in ending a good thing while it was still good? Like, do you ever think about hitting like the panic button and being like, actually, wait, you know, this is a really stable job. Like, give me two more seasons, you know, as it no. kind of came to the kind of came to no, the No, it end. was so clear to me. It was such a mm. gut instinct. And I believe in the legacy of something. And I think in order to create legacy, you have to leave people wanting more. I think the minute you overstay your welcome or the minute you push it too far, people don't return. And I think we can think, you know, television, I think, is the perfect example because there's so much money in it. I don't know what life would have been like if someone said, we're going to give you a huge, gigantic, generational, life-altering amount of money to do seven more seasons of this show. Mm -hmm. That wasn't in the cards for us. It was always just about the work because our show was small. Our budget really never changed. The increments were so small. I think people thought it did because it became very successful, but it was always an incredibly small show. And I cared so much about the stories. I cared so much about the characters. I cared so much about the actors that would come in season after season and perform these parts. I wanted them to come back and feel excited and interested. I wanted them to know that we were pushing their boundaries as Mm -hmm. actors at the same time as moving their characters into unknown territories. So the idea of ever jeopardizing that kind of love and and admiration that I had for everybody around me in the show itself was too risky to ever say, okay, yeah, let's do 50 more episodes just for for the sake of it. For the sake of it. And I think that's why people have returned to it because it went out just as it was at its best and... And it never overstayed its welcome. So you never get a bad taste in your mouth. It's so true. I I love the way that you described it. It was something that I was like, just, I was thinking a lot about it because I think there's just so much stigma of like having to stay on, like riding the wave for as long as you can until literally, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't anymore. And I think the idea of legacy is so beautiful because it's so true like people will keep coming back to it people will see it as this thing that they just wished that there was a little bit more but it kind of Mm -hmm. ended in in your eyes at the perfect time like were you ever frightened about what came next when you had made that decision I made a choice when I left MTV and this was a very different time but it was I, I walked away from my job at MTV at the time it was paying me you know I was in my 20s I was had some money coming in in Canada, you know, people knew who I was. And, and your ego gets, it feels good. Mm. It feels good to, you know, get a table at a restaurant. It feels good to have people come up to you on the street. It, it There's an ego part of it that feels good, but the job didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And so when I left, I said to myself, like, you can't tie your ego to what you do next. It will kill you. And it will force you down paths that are not right. You have to put it all aside. You have to imagine a life without the cash and the fun perks and the recognition. You have to think of the fact that if you end up in a bookstore, 
and someone comes up to you and says, weren't you the guy from, you can say yes, and now I'm doing this. And it was that choice to say, okay, I'm going to walk away from this job. I don't know what's coming for me. I don't know where I was. Listen, I worked in a video store. Videos were before streaming services. You would go, you would rent a movie (laughs) at a place that had VHS tapes. I know that, actually. And DVDs. I used to go and do, (laughs) like, like, it was my favorite thing. The number of people that are like, like, what is that? Like, blockbusters are going and, like, renting DVDs and videos. It was so exciting. So I, you know, I worked at a bakery. (laughs) I worked at Gap Kids. I come from that. I can go back to that. It wasn't ideal, mm-hmm. but I've done it, and I'm happy, you know, if that's where my life takes me, so be it. Releasing the ego and the expectation of it was the greatest gift that I gave myself, and I said it after we left Schitt's Creek. I said, I hope that this show has allowed me the opportunity to continue to tell stories, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't, then, you know, we'll see where the wind blows me ultimately. But that has really allowed me to move on and say goodbye to things and say hello to things in a way that feels like, you know, cross your fingers, hope for the best. And if it yeah. doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. It's really refreshing to just hear you talk about that. I haven't had somebody on the um, on the podcast on a topic like this. So this is really, this is really great. I mean, I feel like I'm feeling really energized <laughs> from this conversation. This is, um, I'm really That's loving this. That's not to this. say that I'm not like actively trying to stay employed. No, no, no. I completely but, understand that. But the idea of like ego and self being separated and understanding yeah. that the reason why you do it is for the love of it and not for the mm-hmm. paycheck at the end of the day is like, yeah. you know, evidently we're here to just create something that we love, like we said, but to do it so where you stay like really authentic and true to yourself. Mm-hmm. It, it's a really refreshing take and hearing you talk about it, I just I just absolutely love it and I'm such wow. a fan and this is wonderful, <laughs> so thank you. To be honest, it was, I mean, I, over the pandemic, made a cooking competition show mm-hmm. and I made it because a lot of my friends that work in the food industry were out of jobs and they're some of the loveliest, most inspiring people I know. I think chefs are so generous of spirit. It's a very tough profession. And I created this competition show called The Big Brunch to tell their stories in a mainstream kind of capacity. And it was one of those situations where the dust settled on the pandemic. And I thought to myself, and I had people in my ears being like, is that the best move? You've just like had this scripted television show. People think like you're doing cool things. Like, do you really want to move into the unscripted space? Like you're hosting a what? A cook, a food competition <laughs> show? What is this? And then I started thinking like, am I sabotaging my career by hosting this television show? Then we shot the show. It's essentially 10 local chefs that are doing wonderful things in their community, cooking essentially in a competition setting for $300,000. All of them have personal, professional dreams that they are competing for. Hopefully that money will be enough to sort of set their dreams in motion. We shot the show. It was absolutely life-changing for me. Hearing these people talk about their lives, hearing them talk about how they're changing their communities, being surrounded by people who were so inspiring and so selfless, and so generous of spirit, I just knew, like, again, you go with your gut. You do the things that you feel are taking you places, and you can't be scared of what people are going to think. If someone thinks, fuck, he's like made a 
television show and now he's like tasting pastries on a brunch. Like, what is, what is this? I'm doing what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that if I'm doing something that makes me happy, other people will watch it and feel happy too. And that's the end goal. Our careers should not be dictated by other people's expectations of what or how we should navigate the waters of our lives. When I watched the first episode, I found it to be a really unexpected and delightful antithesis of what you'd expect a cooking show to be in 2022. I just love the whole side where you're shining a major spotlight on the underrepresented and underfunded chefs and their cuisines and their communities and and, and their stories. When you're given an opportunity, run with it. If someone's interested in an idea like that, I said, great. It's not about me. It's about them. You're doing and good if I'm, and if I, you're getting something in return by exactly. just seeing people in their like um, in their element is probably like yeah. the best way to to describe it. It's and really, I am the worst really great. chef on the planet. I couldn't cook you a fruit salad, <laughs> but to get to cook taste you a fruit all salad, fruits, I think says everything. I think that sums it up. So you know, but to taste food, I'm such. A, I love food. My favorite yeah. thing. And these people were just a dream. And so I hope that people can watch this and understand sort of why we made this show. I think it's really special. Dan Levy, always leading with love. I love that. (laughs) Try to. It's all we have at the end of the day. I want to talk about your other endeavors. You know, you have a production company, not a real production company Mm -hmm. is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not a real, it's a real one, but it is a real it's one. It's a real one, but it's called not. A it's real not one. a real, real production company. Yeah, <laughs> and you're a writer, you're a producer, you're a director, and with your production company, you're setting yourself up for what I see is like really long term success. But you're also like dipping your toe into acting again mm-hmm. in other people's projects because I can't say that mm-hmm. you're really dipping your toe into acting. I feel like you've done a lot mm-hmm. of that and solidified <laughs> yourself as an actor. <laughs> Tried to. You know, I had that you. You're doing the fourth season of Sex Education mm. and Disney announced that you'll be in their like Haunted Mansion movie and mm. you'll also be seen in the weekend's HBO series, The Idol. How have you been choosing the sort of roles that you're taking? Like, what do you look for in like the post shits yeah. creek job in general? You know, whether it's acting, writing, <sighs> directing, producing or like some kind of combination of everything. How do you navigate that? I think... The greatest luxury that you can have in this industry is not having to say yes to things. And it is a rare luxury. I know how lucky I am to be in a place where I am stable enough financially to not have to say yes. Mm. I've been in the places before where I've had to go in for auditions for just, you know, the gay best friend that's just so offensive. (laughs) (laughs) And one note and flat, and yet you have to do it because you need the job. So to get to a place where I don't necessarily need the job for right now, I think the greatest gift you can give yourself is to be specific about what you want to do and hopefully pursue things that feel interesting. Mm -hmm. And Sex Education was a show that I've all, I mean, it's such a sweet show. If anyone has not seen Sex Education, watch it. so when they called and said, would you be interested? I said, absolutely. Um, <laughs> cool. And I'm very excited to see how it turns out because I don't want to give anything away, but it's my role is, is unexpected. Okay. And yeah, I mean, The Idol was something that was totally different from anything I'd ever done. It was such an incredible group of people. Haunted Mansion was, you know, wigs and hats and 
glasses and thing, you know, it was like a whole, you know, so there was always something that drew me to what it was. And they were also small parts. They're not huge commitments. They were things that I felt like I could come in and do. Mm -hmm. I'm also really practical. If I don't think I'm going to be good at something, I won't take it just to take it. Because I'm too self-aware to be like bad at something and kind of knowing that people are suspecting that I'm bad at it. I would rather just avoid. (laughs) Um, Just be, try to be good and things. Try try to to be be light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But then you take the risks. And I think this movie is the prime example of that. My biggest fear is putting myself out there like that. But at the same time, I'm a film student. My dog, funnily enough, passed away while I was shooting Haunted Mansion. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It was a Sunday. I found out on a Sunday. Oh, gosh. He died gently in his sleep. I had to shoot at my pickup, I think, was five in the morning the next morning. (laughs) I was an absolute mess. But then when the movie comes out and you see what I look like in the movie, it will actually be funny because (laughs) to have that, to have your heart broken into a thousand pieces and then to be dressed up like the zaniest person you've ever met was a 180. And from that experience, I wrote this movie, which is sort of a funny, sad, special little story about grief. And again, you kind of follow your instincts, you follow your gut. And I I knew I had a story to tell when he uh, left. And now here I am. And I think the greatest thing you can do is honor people and dogs and things that leave a mark in your life with creativity if you can yeah absolutely and i i love how you know you love to take risks you're very versatile with the things that you choose you know every everything from sex education to disney to the idol they're all very different especially in relation to schitt's creek and then of course this movie that you're doing is probably such a big leap it's of, slightly more dramatic than anything I've ever done. You know, you're like... Wait, but you just shot a movie with Catherine. I did just shoot a movie with Catherine. I shot it last year, actually, which is very exciting. Did you get to meet her? I did get to meet her, but not on set. I met okay. her, like, afterwards. Adele was doing, like, a one-night... Oh, yeah, I was supposed to go to that. And I ...thing couldn't. in London, and Catherine was there... And so I went up and I was like, hi, like we're in a movie together. I was very excited. (laughs) But yeah, but again, there's a lot that I like relate to you. So it's been cool to hear you, hear you speak. It's been really, really great. But there's um, just parts about, you know, wanting to do small things for me at the moment that I feel comfortable that I can deliver in. I think the fear Mm -hmm. of people's opinion and not being Mm -hmm. good or something like that Mm -hmm. still scares me, whether it's like a small role, especially when it's something that I've never really done before you. Have you been enjoying acting? Now the interview, now I'm interviewing. Now you're interviewing Did you like it? uh, Yeah, I did. I did. I had a really great time and it was really exciting. But I think for me, it's like baby steps. Yeah. I think that's also just like the best way to discover yourself as well, rather than throwing yourself in the deep end with something that maybe you can't completely tackle head on. Like I think my biggest fear would be taking on like a really big role and being like, fuck, Mm -hmm. now I have to like be an actor and feel these (laughs) emotions and feelings on camera where I haven't like, you know, brought myself up to that point yet. But definitely really exciting. I mean, I want to know so much more about this movie that you're making. I know that you want to keep a lot of things (laughs) a secret. And so I'm not going to press on it too much. But just like, is there anything else you can tell us about it? Or, you know, (sighs) we have an amazing cast. I don't know if it's like being Canadian, where you just always go under, like your expectations are under, your expectations for yourself are a little under. 
it's like, you know, I wrote this movie. I thought, gosh, I hope people are interested. I hope people want to participate in it. And we just, we got the most amazing group of people, Ruth Nega, Himesh Patel, Luke Evans, Celia Imri, these amazing, amazing British actors, and then me. So now, you know. Do you have a British accent? No, I have a North American accent. Okay. But I'm the only one. So now <laughs> I just have to like, now I have to do the work and hopefully stand up to how good amazing. they are. But it's been great. We start rehearsals next week. And you hope for the best. You hope that you've laid some foundation and that it all works. And, you know, it's about grief. And that's unexplored territory for mm. me in terms of acting. And you got to cry and be emotional. And that's a Gosh. that's a touch and go. Yeah. Crying on demand is No easy tough. thing, yeah. And there are some people that can just waterworks in a heartbeat. I'm not that person. So we're trying to figure out how to... But I wish you, I wish you so much luck in this. It's so (laughs) exciting. And, you know, I know that you're going to pour your whole heart into it. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to see the, the the final outcome. I'll be there with bells on whenever it's, whenever it's ready. And I'm so appreciative of all of your work. You work so hard. Oh, we all feel it. We all hear it. (laughs) We all see it. Um, you're being very sweet. You're amazing. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm glad that we got to chat so Me I could tell too. you that. We'll be back with Dan Levy right after this break. I want to end on this one mm. question before I ask you for a couple lists. You know, we've talked about your career and you have achieved so much and and you're incredibly humble and the way that you kind of tackle everyday life is super inspiring. And I'd love to know what success looks like for you today in 2022 and how has that definition changed over the past decade? I try to protect myself from all the things in this industry that can make you feel bad about yourself. Mm. And I think success is that peace of mind. I never want to lose that love that I have for my work. I think the minute that's gone, someone has done some damage, and I never want to put myself in a situation where that happens. That's naive. I'm sure it will. But knowing when to say no, knowing when to say yes, in the quest for preserving my own peace of mind, I think, is, is the goal. Then you'd have the right answer. I love that. <laughs> Success is that peace of mind. That was poetic as fuck. How, how many, <laughs> but you get into you get into conversations with people that can just make you question all of it. I mean, the industry is predicated on mm. on chipping away at people's confidence so that you can be molded into things that people want. It's probably the easiest thing to do is to yeah. to just follow that and, and get molded, whereas to yeah. stand your ground and to be truly authentic to yourself is yeah. is probably the most difficult thing. But you seem to it be is. doing such a such a brilliant job. Listen. Dan, thank there you. Are highs thank and you, lows. thank you, thank you so much. This is <laughs> you're incredible and I've deeply, deeply enjoyed this conversation. Oh, me too. We talked about how you're moving making your movie right now. Mm-hmm. What are your top five London-based films that helped inform your movie. Oh my gosh. I love London so much. All I want to do is meet someone and just end up there. That's my goal. 
um, top five London-based movies, The Paddingtons. <laughs> Love. One and two. <laughs> masterpieces. I will fight to the death over those films. <laughs> Nobody understands it. If you haven't watched the Paddington franchise, watch do both. yourself a favor. Paddington one and two. One and two, you could do a double hitter. It's four hours of your life that you will thank me for. So Paddington's, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones. Love. One more. Maybe Sliding Doors? Oh, I don't know Sliding Doors. Ah, <gasps> Early Gwyneth. Oh, wow, I got to watch that. I haven't seen it recently, so I say that now, but I, I loved that movie. Okay. I'm going to walk away from this and just be like, why didn't I say X, Y, Z? But for now, that's the list that okay. came to the top of my head. All right. I love it. Thank you. Starting with the Paddingtons. And you're in LA when you're not mm-hmm. in London or in Canada yep. or in Paris right now. I think it's quite difficult to be like, you're in LA. <laughs> but at some point you're in LA. I'm mainly you're, in Los Angeles. Yeah, okay. So when you're in Los Angeles, if I'm there to the record, I'm always there kind of looking for like new places to go and eat. What are the five uh, best meals in uh, town? People are going to fight me on this. T- <laughs> Tell me what you think. First and foremost, there's a restaurant called Little Dom's in Las Feliz. Love Las Feliz. Have you had the Little Dom's blueberry ricotta pancakes? No, I haven't been there for like a brunchy, you need lunchy situation. The greatest pancake on the planet. Okay. So I would say the Little Dom's blueberry <laughs> okay. ricotta pancakes. Then I would say I order from this vegan Thai place called Bulan. Okay. And they do a vegan buffalo wing that is extraordinary. Okay. Must try this. There's a new pizza place that I haven't tried, but I really want to called Pizzeria Sei. S-E-I. Okay. I haven't heard of it. It's supposed to be excellent. Okay. Pizza's my favorite food. I have a child's palate. <laughs> tacos. I'm going to fuck up the name, but it's Tacos Iberia La Unica. Okay. And it's a taco truck. Mm. Mind-blowing tacos. When we wrapped the big brunch, I had the truck come and everyone Ugh, had tacos when we so wrapped good. the show. And they are extraordinary. And then I would say there's a place called Conby. K-O-N-B-I in yeah. Silver Lake. Yeah, I know Combi. I know Combi. And they do an egg salad sandwich that is out of this world. Yeah. And that is five. Love it. This is brilliant. Thank you so much. I'm very excited <laughs> to go to LA now and eat all this amazing food. But None of those items are nutritious. All of those items will call will be high cholesterol. It's fine. It's, um, it's the simple things in life. It's the joyous it's things. I mean, you can go and get a smoothie anywhere in LA. So exactly. I think that's probably the easier thing. This is <laughs> this is what we want to know. Dan, thank you so much. Thank oh, you for your time. You. I know we run a little over. So I no, really appreciate you staying with me and doing this. Enjoy Paris. Happy to. Thank you. And I hope we get to say yeah, hello to each other would, in person one day. I would love that. I would love okay. that. I feel like we need to grab a drink yeah. or grab some food or do something. Please. So that would be that would be lovely. Thank you again so All much. Right. Until then. Until then. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening. And thanks to the wonderful, talented Dan Levy for joining me on this week's At Your Service. You can find the list of his favorite restaurants in Los Angeles in this week's issue of Service 95. Our free newsletter available to subscribers via service95.com. 
Be sure to sign up and let us know in our Instagram comments which LA bars, restaurants and hotspots I should visit the next time I'm in town. And please keep writing in with the lists that you'd like me to read aloud during next week's episode. Email us at podcast at service95.com. It's been a thrill hearing from you each week, so I can't wait to see what else you come up with. Sending you all my love and gratitude, and I hope to see you again next week for another very special episode of Dua Lipa at your service.